Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Covenant Conversations. I am Shweta Rao and this week I am joined by Senior Legal Analyst Sean Qureshi and we will be talking about the development of Part 26A as a restructuring tool. Sean is going to take us through the use of cross-class cramdown, the impact of Brexit on restructuring tools and the recent investor challenges we have seen to Part 26A plans and schemes. We'll have to see how English lawyers choose to structure refinances and ensure that any Part 26A plan they pursue does get cross-border recognition across Europe. Hi, Sean. How are you doing today? Great. Great. Thanks for being. Uh, thanks for letting me be on the podcast today. Good to have you. Sean, the COVID-19 pandemic led to a wave of creditor schemes of arrangement and restructuring plans. Now, the scheme of arrangement is a long-standing restructuring tool. The Part 26A restructuring plan became law only in 2020 and is the latest addition to the restructuring toolbox. So to start things off, can you talk to us about these two restructuring tools and their key differences? Thanks, Retta. Yeah, so as you say, there are there's two tools we're talking about today. And I'll start with a very high-level roundup of the key features and the difference between the two. So as you mentioned, there's two tools, Scheme of Arrangement and the Part 26A, and they're both in the English Law Companies Act. Now, both these tools are court processes, so the debtor has to go to court to have the, the, the tool enforced, and they're also debtor-driven. So this means that the debtor, i.e. the borrower, is the person who proposes the scheme or the plan. Uh, the processes can be used to essentially put a restructuring in place, and once they're uh, passed by the court, they are binding on all creditors. The sort of restructuring that they can put in place are debt for equity swaps, amendments and extension of bonds uh, and also loans, and also allow for the incurrence of new debt, for example, changing the restricted covenants, covenants in a bond or loan document. In proposing these uh, plans, the, the debtor will put its creditors into different classes for the purposes of voting on the scheme or the plan. And the creditors will be divided according to their rights, which they have against the debtor. So, for example, your RCF creditors would be put in a different class to your bond creditors as they have different rights against the debtor. The voting threshold is 75% by value. And only in the scheme of arrangement is there a numerosity test of 50%. So that's the number of creditors per class. Now, in terms of the difference between the scheme and the Part 26A, there's two big differences. The first is that a scheme of arrangement can be used by any uh, company, regardless of whether or not they're in financial difficulty. A Part 26A does require to, the company to be in financial difficulty. And leading on from that, the Part 26A features a powerful tool called cross-class cramdown. What does this mean? It means that not all classes need to vote in favour of the plan for it to be passed. There only needs to be one class which votes in favour. This is different to the position for a scheme where you need the consent of all voting classes. So which companies have used this new Part 26A restructuring plan so far? What have courts held? And how has the cross-class cram-down tool been used in practice? So being an English uh, tool, it's actually very apt that the first two companies to use the tool are companies, uh, well, Pizza Express and Virgin Active, uh, sorry, Virgin Atlantic, uh, which are UK-based companies. Uh, as well as them two, uh, a company called Deep Ocean and Gate Group have used the tool. Now, Virgin and Pizza Express were very straightforward uh, Part 26A plans. There was no cross-class cram down, no real jurisdiction issues and no 
obviously cross-border recognition issues. Deep Ocean, however, was more interesting. Now, the reason why Deep Ocean was interesting was that the it was the first plan to feature cross-class cramdown, and it was sanctioned by Justice Chow in the English court in January. Now, in providing his judgment, the judge explained that there's both statutory and discretionary tests which must be passed in order for the cross-class cramdown tool to be used. And the judge says that a planned company well, in his own, in the judge's words, have a fair wind behind it in seeking sanction, providing that the relevant statutory conditions are met. There is what is called the horizontal compar comparability, which will be considered by the court, i.e., does the plan treat creditors differently among themselves? And if so, are those differences justified? And also, as well as considering the statutory tests, the court will also evaluate the level of support for the plan and the turnout of creditors, particularly in any dissenting classes. So let's have a closer look at what those statutory tests are. Essentially, there are two. There's condition A and a condition B. Condition A says that if the restructuring plan is to be sanctioned, none of the members of the dissenting class would be any worse off than they would be in the event of the relevant alternative. What does this mean? It means that whatever the court considers would be the most likely thing to occur in relation to the company if the compromise or arrangement were not sanctioned is that a worse off option for the dissenting class? Condition B is that the restructuring plan must have been approved by at least one class of creditors who have a genuine economic interest in the company and the relevant in the relevant alternative. So what is the take home from this? The take home is that the discretionary test is applied once those two statutory tests have been passed. And the discretionary test provides that even if those two, condition A and condition B have been met, the court will still have an absolute discretion as to whether or not to sanction a restructuring plan. And it may refuse to sanction on the grounds that it would not be just and equitable to do so, even if the conditions A and B have been met. Now, moving on from the deep ocean precedent, there's actually a large issue to, do with, to deal with, which is to do with cross-border recognition. And this has come up in the gate group case, and this is a Brexit-related issue. Yes, let's, let's talk about the enforceability of English court judgments on schemes and restructuring plans and how Brexit may impact this. So to start with, tell us how were English court judgments uh, on schemes and restructuring plans given recognition in Europe prior to Brexit? Sure, so prior to Brexit, when the UK was a member state of the European Union, it was subject to two key pieces of European legislation. The first being the judgments regulation, and the second being the insolvency regulation. Now, the two pieces of legislation dovetail. Any judgment given by a European court must fall under one or the other. They can't fall in between. Jurisprudence held that traditional schemes of arrangement were held to fall underneath the judgments regulation. There's extensive case law on this. This meant that there was automatic recognition of schemes and, by extension, recognition of Part 26A plans across all European member states whilst the UK was in the European Union. And this was the case in Pizza Express, Virgin Atlantic, and the Deep Ocean hearings. The judges there were all of the view that Part 26A could follow the jurisprudence of schemes. So what was the expectation after Brexit? How did practitioners expect that recognition would be granted in the EU? Well, the thinking was that there are three or there were three possible routes for both the English law scheme arrangement and the Part 26A plan to still gain automatic recognition in the EU. And these were either under the Lugano Convention, 
the Hague Convention or the Rome One Regulation. Now, the UK is not actually yet a party to the Lugano Convention, but it is expected that with the EU's permission, the UK would accede to the agreement following its outstanding application made in April 2020. There's also the UNCITRAL model law on cross-border insolvency, which provides a mechanism for recognition of judgments handed down in both scheme and Part 26A plans. And that treaty still applies post-Brexit. However, out of the EU member states, only Poland, Romania, Slovenia and Greece are members as well as the UK, which gives it limited use. So apart from the international treaties, those three I mentioned, Debtors using a Part 26A plan in the UK can also rely on the principles of domestic committee in each member state for recognition. For example, the domestic insolvency or, regulation or recognition of a legal regime or member state may actually cater for the recognition of foreign law judgments, which purport to amend the terms of debt. So in short, there are three international treaties and the model law, and finally, domestic legislation. Gate Group, however, changed the position for Part 26A. And how did Gate Group do that? So in the convening hearing for the Gate Group Part 26A, Justice Zaccaroli English in the English court held that the Part 26A plan does not fall under the judgments regulation, but instead falls under the remit of Article 1 of the insolvency regulation. What that means is that the Part 26A plan does not fall under the Lugano Convention or the Hague Convention. So this means that out of the three effective possible cross-border treaties that could have been relied on for EU recognition for Part 26A plans, two are now not available. So a debtor using a Part 26A plan will have to rely on either Rome 1, the UNCITRAL model law, which has its shortcomings, bilateral treaties, or any domestic committee regimes in each individual member state's recognition. Now, the gate group decision will may remain applicable to all future cases, which are all future Part 26A places, uh, cases, unless the principles overturned in a higher court such as the Court of Appeal. And what does this actually mean in practice? Why is it important? Well, this essentially adds a level of complexity, and it's also likely to add significant costs and expenses for debtors using the Part 26A plan because um, where they will require European-wide recognition. Now, law firm Kirkland Ellis, who are experts in Part 26A plan implementation, having uh, worked on, I think, three out of the four Part 26A, commented in a letter to the court in respect of the gate group judgment that Zaccaroli's finding would remove a crucial potential basis for recognition of restructuring plans in Europe. And this had happened within a few months of the enactment of Part 26A, and Brexit implementation, and just as the market was finding its way on questions of international recognition. Now, with the effectiveness of Part 26A plans in Europe compromised, the Dutch scheme, which came into effect this year, at the beginning of this year, may well be placed to attract restructurings away from London. Now, the Dutch scheme is broadly similar in its features to the Part 26A plan. However, given that the Netherlands remains a member of the EU, the Dutch scheme does fall under the remit of the insolvency regulation and will be given automatic recognition across the EU. Now, it's important to know, Justice Zaccaroli's judgment in Gate Group does not apply to traditional schemes or arrangements, which would still fall under the remit of the judgment regulation if the UK were still in the EU, and therefore do still fall under the remit of the Lugano, the Convention and the Hague Convention. So my concluding thoughts 
on this is that we will have to see how English lawyers choose to structure refinances, refinancings, particularly where they are still using the Part 26A tool to get around this new issue and ensure that any Part 26A plan they pursue does get cross-border recognition across Europe. Some creativity is required to ensure that the UK remains competitive as a restructuring jurisdiction. Exactly. Moving on to the last part of our podcast. Over the last year, several schemes and Part 26A restructuring plans have been challenged by creditors. Both schemes and restructuring plans involve court hearings, which provide a natural forum for challenges from dissenting creditors. What sort of challenges have we seen? Yes, so you're right. Uh, both schemes and Part 26A plans are always open to challenge by dissenting creditors at both the first convening hearing and the latter sanction hearing. However, before we discuss you know, how challenges have been launched, it's very important to remember that only ever in one scheme so far has an English court actually declined to sanction a scheme. And here, Justin Snow, Justice Snowden in the Sunbird scheme refused to sanction uh, this scheme application the first time this, the, the company made an application because of a paucity of information. It was his view that the Sunbird scheme failed to meet the requirement for fair process. It was relevant in the Sunbird scheme that the company's dealings with its creditors essentially resulted in an inequality of information amongst creditors. In particular, and this is the judge's words, prejudicing those whom the directors clearly felt were irrelevant or would be an obstacle to their plans. That's a very extreme case. So moving away from the Sunbird judgment, let's have a look at some other schemes and Part 26As where we've seen challenges. The first one to speak about is Gate Group, which I mentioned earlier, and that's where Zaccaroli gave his judgment. So in Gate Group, one creditor called Hestia challenged the restructuring plan prior to the convening hearing on various grounds. Uh, Now, the creditor withdrew its challenge before the court uh, hearing. However, the court did address the arguments that were made uh, by Hestia. And the judge, uh, Justice Zaccaroli, held that where a group had incorporated an English company, which had assumed obligations to the restructuring plan creditors and contribution obligations to the original obligors under a deep part, and therefore entered into a separate contribution payment agreement with the original obligors, that created no inherent obstacle to a judge uh, allowing a convening meeting for a plan. So this basically makes the point that if the restructuring uh, plan company has essentially artificially created a new company in order to assume the obligations of the group for the purposes of procuring a plan, that doesn't provide an inherent obstacle. The second uh, scheme challenge to talk about is Codere. Now in Codere, which uh, was sanctioned last year during the summer, one creditor, Kima Capital, or Kima Capital, argued that the ad hoc group of creditors had been offered additional rights to other note holders, including the opportunity to participate in interim notes issued prior to the scheme and also certain fees, including very expensive work fees and very expensive backstop fees. The court considered, in this case, each of the additional rights which was given to the ad hoc group. And the court held that just because an ad hoc group member was participating in interim rights issued prior to the scheme, and that that was not a new right. There was no element of bounty. It was a separate arrangement rather than some sort of benefit conferred on the ad hoc group as part of the price for agreeing to the overall restructure. 
The judge also held that backstop fees were payable in exchange for essentially a commercial service at a market level. And in Codera, they were insufficiently material to actually fracture any class. Further, it was held that consent fees, they were actually available to all note holders and they're low enough that they were unlikely to exert any material impact on any voting decisions. Finally, it was held that payment of ad hoc group advisor fees was actually independent of the scheme, so not, not useful for a challenge. So in that case, the challenge was not successful. The final case to talk about is Swissports. In Swissports uh, scheme, a challenge was mounted by a group of junior creditors, senior unsecured note holders, on the grounds that, similar, similarly to Gate Group, the contribution deed that was entered into in the group was a sham. And they also argued that the basis and result of evaluation provided by Swissport was incorrect. Now, the senior unsecured note holders who challenged Swissport essentially withdrew their challenge prior to the sanction hearing. But again, nonetheless, the court addressed their arguments and held that, firstly, the contribution deed technique was not a scam, and this technique was, was not intrinsically objectionable, so long as it was done with a view to achieving the best results for creditors as a whole, which tears with the gate group judgment. Further, Swissport's valuation evidence supported the decision to treat the sums as out of the money, and the correct approach was the approach taken by Swissport, which was to value the group on an uncoordinated liquidation basis, as this was the most likely alternative to the scheme. So these cases, in my view, demonstrate the robustness of both the Part 26A and scheme process and show that in most cases, the challenge is very successful, very hard to successfully mount. As long as you provide an adequate amount of information. Exactly. And ensure transparency. Fabulous. Sean, for our listeners, what are the three takeaway points you would um, mention right at the end of our podcast? Sure. So the three take-home points are, number one, the cross-class cramdown tool in the new Part 26A plan works. It works in practice. And debtors will be able to bind whole classes of dissenting creditors to their plans, provided that they pass both the statutory and discretionary tests. Secondly, the usefulness of the Part 26A plan has actually been curtailed across Europe due to, firstly, Brexit, and secondly, English court judges' interpretation of the tool. This means that local law recognition procedures across Europe will need to be examined on a case-by-case -case basis. Finally, when mounted correctly and followed, all, and all statutory procedures and precedents are followed, both schemes and Part 26 plans are very hard to successfully challenge. Thank you, Sean. That is all from us in Rio today. We extensively write schemes in Part 26 days, so do contact us if you need any further information.